Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, I speak with Associate Professor of Social Medicine, Mara Bookbinder. In our conversation, Professor Bookbinder discusses her research on policy and practice of assisted death in Vermont. So to start out, if you don't mind, could you just talk in general what you do in terms of research here at at UNC? Sure. Um, I'm a medical anthropologist, and um, my appointment is in the medical school in the Department of Social Medicine, and I have an adjunct appointment in anthropology as well. And so I I do research that is fairly interdisciplinary. Um, mm-hmm. I also have a core appointment in the Center for Bioethics in the School of Medicine, and my recent work has uh, focused on bioethical topics. Mm-hmm. So what I'm currently working on is a book about the implementation of assisted dying or assisted suicide in Vermont. Oh, wow. Uh, what, what kind of brought you to that topic? So it's interesting. I, I Initially, what brought me to the topic was similar work that I had done looking at abortion law in North Carolina, and mm-hmm. I was interested in how abortion providers were adapting to a new legislative environment. So there was a law that passed in 2011, and it changed some of the requirements that they had to deal with. And I was really interested in kind of how they interpreted those laws and how they um, actually implemented them. And as I was tying up that research, I really liked the space that I was working in sort of at the intersections of medicine and law and Mm -hmm. wanted to pursue another topic outside of abortion that would kind of keep me in that territory, and it seemed like end-of-life issues were such sort of a, a rich yeah. uh, area for exploring the intersection of medicine and law. And I, I spoke with a palliative care physician who um, who suggested the topic to me, and then it, hmm. it sort of all fell into place. Well, that's great. You're working on your book project right now as a fellow at the Institute during the semester, which is, at the time of recording, about a month away from being over already. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but have there been any surprises along the way in this this investigation of these, um, you, you termed it assisted dying in, in Vermont? I think that I have done some significant reframing of the way that I want to structure the book um, mm-hmm. during my fellowship. And the other fellows really have been so helpful in that regard. Um, I decided to use my presentation to the fellows groups to to work through kind of a crisis that I was having about how I wanted to organize the book and their feedback was so helpful that I realized this story that was kind of coming up to the top for me is really one about the concept of scripting and um, all the different sorts of layers of scripting that might come into play when we give people the opportunity to choose the time of death. And so, um, you know, that that might not necessarily seem like the most intuitive concept, but I guess I'm using that in a sense of orchestrating and choreographing and shaping death. And the story that I think I have to tell is really one about how how people, when given the opportunity, want their deaths to look and mm. how do they really actually choreograph the scene of death and who they want to be with them and sort of where they want it to occur 
um, but also who does not get the opportunity to partake in in that kind of a death um, because of the way that legislative and bureaucratic scripts are written and who can't actually successfully implement the law because of either access constraints or they don't qualify Mm. or or that kind of thing. So it it might actually be helpful if I took a step back and and spoke a bit about um, what this law is. Yeah, yeah, that'd be great. And, you know, what it affords. Yeah. Um, So Vermont is one of eight jurisdictions in the United States that um, enables people to to take a lethal dose of medication in order to hasten death, provided that certain conditions are met. And so they have to have a terminal illness. Um, They have to be determined to be mentally competent by Mm. two physicians. There are a series of safeguards in place just to make sure that this is a voluntary choice. Okay. And Vermont is the fourth state in the U.S. that that legalized this option and, and made it available to residents of Vermont. And so when I started the research in 2015, it was the state that had most recently passed such a law. It was the it was in 2013 that they had passed. And so I was really interested in kind of understanding what happens when such a monumental shift like this occurs and, and how do people kind of make sense of that on the ground and work to implement it on the ground and, mm. and that kind of thing. Was there was there a particular reason you focused on Vermont versus the other states that have this option? Right. So when I started calling people in Vermont and um, telling them that I wanted to do this project, they all told me to go to Oregon because oh, really? Oregon had had this in place since 1997. Oh, okay. And they said, you know, you'll get a much clearer picture there. But I said in response that what actually drew me to Vermont was that it was the newest state. And I have been really interested in kind of those moments when laws and policies are new and their practical significance is still being worked out on the ground. Yeah. And so that was a huge draw. It also helped that I grew up in New England and um, went to school in New Hampshire and sort of have a lot of ties to Vermont. And so I felt like this was a project that I could do long distance over several summers and over kind of research trips back and forth. Mm -hmm. That's great. That's interesting. Yeah, no, it's kind of interesting because there's this, it's a relatively, it's definitely a touchy subject. There's been things in the news about this, like big debates and things like that. And, And it's all around death too, which is already, I guess in our culture, more taboo to be very open about, I guess, just the subject matter has has its challenges. Do you, do you find that, or is that? It, it is a challenging subject. I mean, I, yeah. I certainly don't shy away from controversial topics. Yeah, yeah. Um, and <laughs> I, you know, my approach is not a polemical or, or ideological one, or, or really even activist driven. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm sort of interested in looking at how a range of stakeholders kind of grapple with these uh, yeah. complex and controversial topics. Um, I think that it, you're right that you know death is it has been a taboo subject um, in this country, and I, I think that might be starting to shift. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really interesting and noteworthy that here at UNC several years ago they chose Being Mortal, yeah. um, which is a book kind of about the culture of death in the U.S. as the summer reading uh, summer reading for man- for incoming freshmen, mm-hmm. and so I think there is more of an interest in this topic, especially among younger people, than we might expect. Yeah, I also just think, kind of on a a personal level, it was so 
eye-opening and amazing for me to get to interview people and have them tell me stories about deaths, you know, and those included stories about people who who per- pursued the path of this law and also those who did not. Um, mm-hmm. I asked everyone I, I spoke with to tell me about a good death and a bad death. Yeah. And I learned so much just from hearing those stories, and I found that people really actually welcomed the opportunity to talk about those stories because there isn't necessarily a space in our society for doing that. Yeah, wow. This is a question we ask everyone. What's a book that changed your life? Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, well, I, I, I'll i just say one, I'm sure. I'm sure yeah. there are others, but a book that I read um, within the past couple of years that has really inspired me um, as I work on this book Mm -hmm. is a book called uh, Strangers in Their Own Land by Arlie Hochschild. Mm -hmm. And she is a sociologist at Berkeley who went to, I believe it takes place in Louisiana. Um, she, She traveled to sort of some small towns in Louisiana after the 2016 election, although I think she had actually begun this work before the election and it turned out to be kind of timely because she was interested in understanding their politics yeah. and um, she was interested in understanding political polarization in some of these rural communities. And I loved how the book was written in a very accessible style. It touched on a subject that has really um, grave importance for our society. She's obviously a, a very accomplished scholar, but you didn't get the sense in reading it um, that it was kind of bogged down by theoretical jargon and kind of mm-hmm. um, social scientific concepts. It, it was really people's stories coming to the fore, and her analysis just very carefully threaded throughout at a, at a level in which it didn't weigh down the story that she had to tell. And after I read that book, I thought, you know, this is really the kind of book that I, I want to write about my research. Yeah, and I guess similarly, she took kind of a local area and, and was able to expand out for like a kind of a trend that's happening throughout the country. Because I know it seemed like it was on a personal level too, because I, I read it a few months ago, but my memory's not the best as it used to be. But didn't she, it was like, a neighbor or a, or a friend of a relative or something like that right. that she initially made that contact and then started this study through from there. Right, yeah. right, right. And that's, I mean, that's a challenge, I think, that I have <laughs> in the project I'm working on yeah. is that people often say, you know, well, why Vermont and why does Vermont mm-hmm. matter? And it's such a small state. And um, even in with the specific law that I'm writing about, the utilization in four years uh the first four years since the law was passed was something like 55 prescriptions written. Mm -hmm. So you can look at it that way and say, well, the numbers are so small, why does it matter? But I think that in a a really deeply contextualized study like that, you can raise issues that will have significance for other parts of the country and and potentially other parts of the world as well. Yeah, especially, I guess, if states start implementing a similar law or similar cases you have. A, a case study from like beginning to, to implementation exactly to, in the first few years of it that you can you can look through and see exactly kind of make predictions yeah and I don't think I would have been able to tell the same story in a larger state I wouldn't kind mm. of be able to talk to all of the actors and get the medical side and the policy side right. and 
Um, I, I interviewed legislators who mm-hmm. had worked to get the law passed or resisted it. And so that's kind of an important piece of the history yeah. of the law as well. Wow. That's great. Well, thank you very much for your time. Sure. Enjoy. It's been Enjoy. a pleasure. Yeah. Check back at ieh.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IAH underscore UNC.